Welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future, presented by me, Jimmy McLaughlin, former Downing Street advisor on business, specializing in entrepreneurship and technology. Today, I am joined by BJ Malanga. I first came across BJ when he was speaking at the Conservative Party conference all the way back in 2014. A 19-year-old black entrepreneur is about as far away as you can get from the stereotypical Conservative Party conference attendee. BJ was about to go on stage to speak. And this just wasn't any old stage. It was the Birmingham Symphony Hall, filled to the rafters with 3,000 people. BJ was the warm-up act for George Osborne, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, in one of the most anticipated speeches of the whole conference. The role of speakers, and you may laugh at this, is a bit like a gig. The whole idea is to try and warm up the crowd for the main event. BJ walked on stage to explain how, age 12, he was close to expulsion before he realised there was a gap in the school market for a tuck shop. He made £15,000 in his first term, aged just 14. Not content with this simple, straightforward business model, BJ scaled like so many of the entrepreneurs that we've had on this show. He took out a startup business loan from the government. He franchised the super tuck idea to other local schools. And aged 16, he had a business that was worth £200,000. BJ explained to the crowd that he was just getting started and he had a plan to train 5,000 other young entrepreneurs. When BJ finished, 3,000 Conservative Party members rose to their feet, giving him a standing ovation. A better warm-up act George Osborne could not have asked for. There was no one better who represented modern entrepreneurial Britain. And today, we'll be hearing from BJ what he's been up to for the last seven years. BJ, welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. We normally start by asking people their work experience and their first job, but as you know, I've covered that quite a lot in the intro. And so I was just wondering what your reflections were on that day of speaking at Conservative Party Conference ahead of the Chancellor of the Exchequer. <laughs> oh, thanks so much for having me, Jimmy. In terms of what my experiences were that day and my feelings, I think there was a lot of energy, a lot of happiness. It was kind of a surreal moment because you can't fail. <laughs> You're just there to tell your story and to be yourself. And I had to keep reminding myself that. I remember there were some nerves at the start. I literally just said hi and I, I paused for longer than I anticipated. I said, my name was BJ and said my age and, you know, it got people laughing and smiling. And that literally gave me the confidence to just just smash it, deliver the rest of the talk and just be my authentic self. And I suppose that's something I try to take in all talks I go and give up until today. How do I bring my most authentic self to work? How do I bring my most authentic self to the stage? And how do I enable individuals who are listening to me speak, listening to me share stories, find points of interest? Did George Osborne say anything to you after that speech? Because I remember I was in the hall listening to it and I thought this is incredible. And it was almost like the Chancellor of the Exchequer might have been looking on being like, well, I wanted him to be good, but I'm not sure I wanted him to be that good. <laughs> Actually, after the speech, I um, took a, it wasn't a selfie, but it was a photo of me and two other people who spoke in that segment with David Cameron, the Prime Minister, and George Osborne. So they both came backstage and took a moment to thank us for speaking. So that was a really nice touch. Their current special advisors they had at the time all kind of made sure that we had great trips back and that we were safe because obviously... There's going to be a lot of media <laughs> coming to get quotes and, and misquote us. So, um, yeah, we were, we were really looked after. And the Prime Minister at the time, K 
came personally to thank both myself and others who spoke. I got a letter in a post after a handwritten one from George thanking me again. So yeah, I think they definitely appreciate it. A handwritten note is pretty special because otherwise some other special advisor like me typing it out, getting them to sign it. That's amazing to hear. And so tell us what you've been up to in the last few years because now you have branched super network out to such a degree and you're doing so many things so i'd love to hear what you're spending your time doing yeah so i think the journey is a roller coaster as any entrepreneur knows it's not a straight line it's most definitely a hockey stick growth tra- trajectory on some days and sometimes it's, it's a bit more of a bumpy up and down right i think the thing that's been consistent is we've, we've been in business we have supported just over ten thousand young people at this point and um, we have expanded to work across 81 different locations on multiple projects, stuff from digital skills with Facebook, helping 5,000 young people become more digitally illiter- literate so they can go and get better opportunities, to working with Apple and their design team around um, making their retail stores places where people can come and learn, not just shop, and finding ways to kind of introduce hard-to-reach audiences to their retail programming. So we actually took over their store seven times and shut it down. The last couple of years has definitely been one of iteration and where I used to do retail stores, I now do experiences and my programs could be virtual, it could be in person. But as I've grown up and I've been exposed to more challenges in the world, I've adapted my offering to kind of feed that. And that's so important. And I remember actually in a meeting in Downing Street, mega business name drop coming here. But Tim Cook from Apple in a meeting with the Prime Minister said, that the future of business is all going to be about the three E's, which is where education meets entertainment meets entrepreneurship. And it's always kind of stuck with me because I've always thought that they're basically my three passions, right? And if the world's biggest and most successful company was going to be pursuing that strategy, that was quite exciting. So tell us a bit more about what you've done with those Apple stores in terms of delivering that. We have done a few different things with clients like Apple. So we've gone in and said, right, how do we get not just an expert to come speak, but an expert who speaks to a different demographic and wouldn't normally be on the roster of people who kind of do takeovers because they have a really great team called the Today Apple team who run the programming. So we went about scouting our network and finding people who had interesting stories to tell and had different angles, but also had a bit of micro influence. People like the founders of Black Girl Festival, the founders of Guap Magazine, the lady who is behind an agency after leaving Adidas and now is doing more interesting anthropological work with brands to understand the actual cultures behind the stuff they're doing. We picked what we would call experts who were kind of rising stars who weren't really mainstream. And then we just programmed with our team and, and their team a series of different events and make sure that the people coming to sit down for 90 minute sessions were not just being spoken at, but they could also learn a skill and participate and then also get celebrated. That's a model that we try to do in all of our programs. How do we make sure that, yes, there's learning and inspiration, but how do we make sure the audience partake? And then how do you make sure we celebrate? Because that's how people can kind of self-teach, self-learn, but also identify what has worked and what hasn't worked. And so what changes do you see happening in this? So you're right at the adult education space, which has been something that over the pandemic, people have had a bit more time, lots of reflection on. You've been in this space for a while. And what do you see as the big changes that are coming up in this sector? I think the big changes that are coming up in this sector, one is creating more superstar instructors. So prior, we had loads of brands that existed, like Udemy, like your Skillshares, 
like you know Harvard business have now kind of created and offered a lot of materials online and so VO and so loads of other institutions but a lot of those places I've mentioned whether they're fully virtual or somewhat virtual they're quite faceless and people still need connection and interactivity so I'm seeing and I'm noting a lot more experiences lessons workshops and curriculums being designed not just with the audience in mind but also around the skill set of the expert and then finding interesting ways to tell that story it's not as simple as just saying oh hey we're gonna just do a master class with a five times world champion it's a right cool how do you turn that local person who's done a really interesting thing for 10 years and has deep knowledge and find different ways to kind of teach their skill set in either two-minute segments, 10-minute segments, or hours and hours and hours long of segments. So I see the way that people market their courses and how people access courses and materials changing actively as it already has been. There's a lot more creators that they would call us what they call it, the creator economy. There's a lot more creators now who literally are making more money than they've ever made before from productizing their knowledge. Example being a guy called Jack Butcher, who is a British guy who now lives in the States, who for the last 10 years had an agency, was always working contract to contract, some months really good, some months really hard. And in the last 18 months, he's just focused on making really easy to access and interactive courses via Mighty Networks and other platforms like Shopify and making it a really good price point. So not thousands of pounds, but a couple of hundred. He's gone on and done a million pounds in a year. Like he's never done that before outside of servicing. And that his, his name was Jack Butcher, did you say? Yeah, Jack Butcher from Visualize Value. But there's so many. There's Chris Johnson. There's loads of people I follow. And they're a new class of creators, what you'd call a teacher before, but are now coming on the term creator, who are building really deep communities around their knowledge and giving away a lot of value, a lot of value consistently, so that when they do come out with their productized knowledge, it is something that people can relate to, can really understand why they're buying into, so not being missold anything as well. There's a community forming around that, that learning. And I think that's something that, you know, general schooling and also L&D leaders and businesses can take note of and kind of think about when they're creating and crafting their own programs. Just to touch on that as well, I think it's so interesting because you know, sometimes I think older generations see the term influencer and there is a stereotypical image of an influencer that they have in their head about things. And actually what you're talking about are like education influencers, right? And this content creators, I'm going to give a shout out to Mr. Bruff, who I know is an avid listener of this podcast. You know, he was an English A-level teacher and stopped doing that quite a few years ago now, went all online on YouTube, makes these amazing videos that kids learn. And we all have a teacher at school that we remember the name of that impacted us in a big way. And it is amazing to think that so many people could get access to this. It's a bit like Joe Wicks, right? He became the nation's PE teacher, effectively. And wouldn't it be great if we could get him doing that more regularly when the schools are back properly as well? But yeah, sorry, carry on. You were saying the other things that were happening in the ed tech space. Edutainment, ed tech space. Um, so I would say the reconstruction of the instructor, the headmaster, the teacher on a virtual stroke in-person space is, is forever changing. I think the other thing I'm really enjoying in the space that we're also accessing is the creation of micro communities. So for example, at the moment, I'm running a, a boot camp and online accelerator for young writers to break the industry as journalists, as authors, and it's free at the point 
of access for the user, but we've pulled in over 30 different coaches who have got between them over half a billion worth of views on their writing. There's commissioners, there's publishers, there's self-published authors who've made six figures. There's individuals who have literally built their own writing communities that are serving the world. And the recurring theme that keeps coming back from all of the instructors as they're speaking to the community is that these individuals going through the process with us should be looking at around the room and working with each other, especially because it's a tight-knit group. You know, 30 is a room where you can, you can still work around a group of 30 rather than 3,000. I'm really fascinated by the world of micro-communities and going deep when trying to have impact or create substantial amount of change in people's lives. And the fact that people can actually interact with each other is something that not just myself, but a lot of different learning designers are, are big fans of. There's something around the number 12 and number six. So, you know, smaller groups, we've divvied up the 30 into even smaller groups as well. So they have accountability. So yeah, I've really been enjoying that process of learning. How can we make more dynamic programs, both in person, but also virtually? And I think it's so exciting, this space, right? It's partly what this podcast is trying to do, right? Is explain careers of the future. And, you know, you've talked about so many in that. One that I'm really interested in is learning designer that you mentioned there, because we can often think about teachers and we just think of them in schools and universities, etc. But as you've said, this is expanding massively already. When it comes to a learning designer, just talk us through the skills that that person requires and, and what the job entails. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the first skills that are probably super important with learning design is even if they've not gone to university for this part, but having anthropology on top of your mind. So understanding different groups of people, why they think the way they think, how they think and where they are as a thesis before designing is quite important. So a lot of learning designers that we work with at Super, we've been working with learning designers for the last couple of years to design stuff. They always like to start with a persona. Who are we targeting? And then they kind of act as the educational version of what a UI UX person is to a product dev team and also a hybrid of like a product manager. So in the space of designing curriculums internally and also externally, a learning designer would literally map out that journey a learner is going to go through. A learner being another term, student, participant, applicant, <laughs> cohort member, but they literally will map out, right, day one to day 90 or day one to day 100, however long the process is after they've done the persona bit. And then step three is start to do a lot of QA. So quality assurances. What do we need to test? What do we need to validate? What assumptions do we have? And how do we have checkpoints throughout the testing phase? So doing a smaller run through to make sure that we validate what our thesis is before scaling. And then at a scaling point, they will then start to pull in wider and bigger teams to then manage the thesis they've built. I'm fascinated by the world of design. I've done some myself. I think it's, it's something that all of us who are in the space of events, programming, community building, and of course, L&D and HR roles, we all need to be brushing up and actively working on. Because if you can make a learning experience a powerful moment. And if you can identify some key moments throughout a journey that a learner's going to go through where you can really give them surprise and delight moments, those are the things that make your product, your experience, your curriculum stand out from the rest. Those are the things that create super fans, create communities of alumni who really care without having to be paid, but they actually really care because they they have personally witnessed the greatness. So yeah, good learning design journey and a, and a good focus on learning design can be something that can affect the bottom line of your business and also your product. 
yeah, I think it's a really exciting space. It's so intriguing. And talk to us about the culture of Super Network, right? Because it's a great place to work. You know, I've visited you in Old Street and kind of seen the passion that you have for it. Talk to us about the culture that you're trying to create there. Yeah, so with Super Network, we've gone through so many different iterations and changes as we've gone back to the market and figured out what do they want. I think the the key thing that keeps coming back in everything we do is people wanting to scout the best talent and also the best talent wanting to find ways to add an edge to themselves once they figure out who they want to be. So the culture we have is one of access. How do we give more access to more people who require it and are ready to apply themselves? Once you give an access, the next place you want to do is build community. So community as a value, a real community and real support is something that I think has changed my life and I, I'm a big fan of. So we, we try to push that within our cohort. So there's people who've met each other in 2017 who are now best friends and we don't have anything to do with it, but we've kind of made these experiences that enable people to find people like themselves. And even if it's someone that's not like themselves, but they find someone who's on a similar journey and then they find a point of reference and that builds interesting dynamics between individuals. So the way community is designed and the way communities manage is very important for us as a culture point. And I suppose the next two points are around trust and safety. We're living in a world where there's so much trust and safety that's been abused by some big companies, especially when you're dealing with learners. They want to make sure that what they're getting taught is valuable and coming from a great place. And then on the other side, if they are giving up any data, they want to know that it's protected and that you really have their back. So really making really easy and simple ways to highlight value and consistently showcase that people are a priority when dealing with you is something that I try to instill in all contractors and in all freelancers and full-time members I work with. Our business model is very much a, a remote business now. It wasn't before. We had offices and stuff, as you mentioned, came to Old Street. But with the pandemic and with the future site, I found it even more interesting to be able to work on projects with people from around the world. We've got writers in New York. We've got admin and operation staff in Derby, which I know you're a big fan of, uh, Jimmy. And people in Liverpool. So yeah, there's no limits. We don't. Like, what we're realizing as an organization now is we want to be connected and allow people to go where they need to go. I know that they still have a home at Super. They don't need to just be in London to access Super opportunities. Yeah. And it's going to be amazing in that regard in terms of access to talent and so on is going to become so much more dispersed, which creates a lot of opportunities. I mean, it's all pretty uncertain at the moment, but yeah, overall, I think it's a real positive. And so talk to us about some of the things that you've got coming down the line, because we caught up just beforehand. And as always, there are loads of different exciting things that BJ is working on. So can you shine a bit of a light into kind of what products and what we might be seeing coming out over the next few months? Yeah, so right now we've just launched a new Super Network website. On there, you can kind of go on and see all of our different communities. You can see, I mentioned micro communities in this chat. You can see the access to our writing community. There's over 200 writers in that network who are all looking for opportunities, all growing and picking up pace in different spaces. Then you've also got access to our business building club. That's our community of e-commerce entrepreneurs. And there's a bunch of docu-series, workshops, and really refreshing eBooks and easy to read guides that we're offering for entrepreneurs who are looking to go digital. And then we've got a talent network. So there's a few interesting young creatives that have popped up in our network that we now represent and help negotiate deals for them and also help them just develop their brand. That's a big feature on our site now. You can really 
understand the different elements and you can access the right community that has the right website for it. And then on, on a wider level, you have access to our history because obviously there's so much we've done over 10 years and you can listen to our live show called Superhuman. So we've made our, our website become a bit more of a magazine. So you go there and there's different sections and it's all clean UI I'm ve- and I'm very proud of it. And we should just say Super Network, Super is spelt with an A, right? Because I know there'll be people at their computer listening to this and <laughs> Googling it now. So just to be clear on that. Talk to us a bit more about that business building club, because this is 250 entrepreneurs that you are helping create e-commerce businesses. And every business has almost had to become some form of e-commerce business. It's one of the things that I would talk about a lot when I was in number 10 is that the UK actually leads the world in e-commerce, right? And this was all pre-pandemic, but you know, sometimes we don't stereotype ourselves as a forward-thinking nation on occasion. And actually, when you looked at the stats, we were so much further ahead of the States. And I remember the stats in 2016, they're still ingrained in me that 12.5% of retail transactions happened online in the UK. The next country was South Korea on 8%. I can still remember it now because I used to quote these things so much. It's obviously changed now with the pandemic. But again, I was looking at some stats the other day which shows that e-commerce slightly tailed off over the last couple of months but actually again the uk it leads the world and the stats are almost now at 40 percent, which is quite incredible but talk us through what you are helping those entrepreneurs do with the building business club yep so for us super is well known to support entrepreneurs it's been over 10 years from the tuck shop to the retail pop-up market, pop-up shops, and even the incubator super campus we ran three years ago. It's something that's etching in the ethos of how I built the brand. I always like to support entrepreneurs with access to industry and access to opportunity. The Business Building Club is something that we started a year ago. It started off as a series of talks, then it went into a newsletter, and it went into coaching. And I was finding that there was a lot of businesses that just needed a bit of a leg up and needed access to stuff. There's so much information on the internet, but knowing what to utilize and when to utilize is something that's still very hard. So I decided to make the club as part of Super so that we have a safe space for people to go and ask those questions on a Slack channel where they can kind of help each other. For some people at different paces. More importantly, when I do speak to VCs or angels and they're wanting to meet people, I now have a place to refer them to. So just doing these kind of hangs once a month, once by every two weeks where investors in my network or corporates in my network get a chance to meet startups and people who are actually building digital businesses. It was something that was very close to my heart. We chose e-com as a primary field because it's growing. Like even if there's dips, generally, if you look at it over five years, 10 years, three years, two years, there's growth. And Amazon posted a hundred billion in rev last quarter of 2020. Right? That's just an example of showing you that this thing and the advancements that we've made since the pandemic has started, purely to the fact that there's so many people who never had online banking, now have online banking. People get I'm so much more used to kind of receiving their posts and parcels and have made different ways to kind of manage that. I'm of a personal preference and understanding that I don't think we're going to go back to what it was. We're going to just evolve and be more hybrid. So it's much harder to support entrepreneurs if you just go with everyone. So we're tackling e-commerce first and putting access to investment, access to network, access to information. But then we are still doing content that any entrepreneur can kind of access and live with. But it was very important for us as we go through the pandemic to go, actually, let's focus on a type of entrepreneur. Because the way you're supporting e-com entrepreneur versus someone managing a warehouse versus someone who is still building a product that they're trying to sell B2B, they're very different support packages. 
Totally. But it's not just Amazon, right? Like in the UK, we've built some amazing e-commerce businesses, right? You know, Gymshark, THG, AO World has had like a stunning pandemic. ASOS as well. Like, you know, there are some amazing firms out there. It's so exciting to see. And hopefully it gives inspiration because all those businesses have been founded oh, in the last 15 years. I mean, some of them, THGs, are well beyond unicorn status. It's so exciting to see. And companies that have been built as well all around the UK, you know, Gymshark, Birmingham, THG, Manchester, AO, Bolton. I think it's really encouraging to see. And sometimes, you know, you and I live in, in London, BJ. We don't recognise and appreciate as much as we did. Um, what I wanted to talk about now was when it comes to building back better and the government talking about it a substantial amount and levelling up, how can the government do that? You know, you're somebody who is always championing learning and working with a vast, diverse array of entrepreneurs. What can the UK government do to build back better? There's a few things the UK can do to build back better. Obviously, this is just my perspective with my own lived experiences. But I think for me, it's telling stories. That's you were writing and, you know, noting down THG, noting down Gymshark. There's so many great success stories. When we tell stories, you give motivation, you give aspiration, and you also give access because you don't know who you don't know. And my dad, for example, who's been very redundant since the pandemic started, he's learning about so many companies that he never knew about in the last 12 months. And I'm sure there's loads of people in that position. So we need to utilize our media and utilize our access to assets because, you know, we are really big in, in the media production here in this country to tell stories, to highlight the amazing opportunities that do exist in those fast growing businesses and those fast growing regions in the country. And I think next step after that is a continued push around transparency and safety. So the internet has brought loads of positives, but it has also brought a lot of negatives. You know, just today I got a full text from a bank that wasn't really from a bank, it was just an 07 number. So we need to keep investing on the fight for cyber, just so people have more confidence. And also just to make sure that when information is passed along, it's the right information to the right people. That's something I think is very important for the country to look at. Cybersecurity, we know AI is en route, it's here now, but how do we make sure that people have access to the right data and also that they're protected? Because that gives people confidence. And then the third, I would say, support local businesses. If you're looking to purchase X product, where can you get it? Make sure you're looking at those small boys. That's something that you can't enforce, but it can only be encouraged again from storytelling and from just better access to what's out there. I think people are definitely getting more astute. We have to give the flowers where we're due. And it's definitely something where I've seen a lot of campaigns from Black Pound Day to the Small Biz Day that happens in December. There's, there's a lot of different initiatives throughout the year that do support small businesses. And there's been a lot of funds and funding. So how do we continue those things and continue making access to it more easier would be something that I think about when we build back better. But again, as I say, all of these things are just based on my lived experience. And I welcome to hear what other people think. But it's an exciting time, you know, in, in these times, as much as there's fear and, and there's stuff to be scared about, there's also opportunity and there's things to be excited about because there are people who are doing some really awesome things right now across the country. 
I think that's true. And I think the last one there that you talk about, I mean, it's a challenge that you lay for government, but it's also for the individual, right? Like, and you know, we've all used Amazon in the pandemic. It's very convenient and so on. But actually, you know, if you've got the time trying to find places local and UK based, you know, makes a huge difference, right? Because a lot of people have found the last year very hard when it comes to running businesses and, and we need to do everything that we can. One of the things that you talked about there that I was wanted to kind of pick up on a bit more, because I remember you came to a dinner at Downing Street, which these business dinners have the great and the good at them from the kind of FTSE 100 and my role to try and bring along different people with different perspectives, which you did so brilliantly in this one dinner, because we were talking about the media culture, not quite being as pro-business as it is in the States, for example. And there was lots of sort of head nodding and, and agreement with this. And you made the point of, well, people under the age of 30 don't really consume traditional media in any form. So two parts of the question, and I would love to hear your thoughts and if you remember making that point. And secondly, you know, what is the media that you consume and which sources are you getting it from? The biggest media I consume at the moment is on just YouTube. I have uh, different things I follow, different platforms, both creators from the US, creators from the UK. I also speak French, so I watch a lot of stuff from France and Congo, my native homeland. I think <laughs> what Google have done with their YouTube search engine, you can see billions worth of videos. You will never finish it, basically. And all new channels basically broadcast there as well. So I have my pick of things I watch through there rather than sitting at a program time on my TV screen. So that's me personally. And then I also utilize the functions on both Twitter and Instagram to make lists. So on Twitter, you can make a list of interesting profiles and see what interesting thought leaders are saying, because not everyone you follow is where you should get your news from. And then on Instagram, exactly, exactly. But you need to, you need to go through it. You need to go through who you're following and really make sure that you you make your own little feeds because you can do that on Instagram. You can make a list and just open your list and you can see your own algorithm based on who you've put in that list. It's not just based on everyone you follow. And then based on the other side of what I mentioned when we were in that dinner about, you know, under 30s not consuming TV like other generations. I mean, it's been well documented. It's not something I've made up. The TV consumption has gone down amongst my age group. So, I mean, single programs, some have done really well. You know, Game of Thrones, your power, all these different TV shows, but general sit-down watch time has changed forever. With the Build Back Better Britain, campaign that you're speaking about and, and that ethos around the country i think there's a wider point yes even though the younger people that watch tv like other generations have done what i recommend and what i i, I see right now a year or two on is the fact that you can't really group anyone anymore like we're, we're all more homogenous we're all going through this worldwide thing together everyone at their own different pace and Someone who's 18 may be feeling way more connected to someone who's in their 30s and more aligned with where they're at in life with not knowing what to do next versus maybe someone in their mid-20s and someone in their mid-40s also being in the same place with early children. So the lines have blurred way more. I think all media has a place because ultimately when you're advertising or you're telling a story, something that people always forget is that the buying power is not always with just the individual you're targeting. Individual you're targeting has brothers, has sisters, has siblings, they have parents, they have nieces, nephews, there are individuals in their lives that impact them. So if you're telling a story and looking at media assets, whether it's online, offline, or um, outdoor, it, it all has a place because there are knock-on effects to the story you tell. That's so true. I was just thinking about 
I had to buy some new clothes the other day because I basically haven't bought any because we've been in lockdown for a year and I became a dad, etc. Right, and so I got sort of quite excited about trying out different e-commerce platforms. And I used a firm called Spokes to buy some new trousers, and it's been brilliant. Like I finally got trousers, casual trousers that fit. So it's been a complete revelation, and it's just like I have told so many people about that. Like even if they don't want to know, they have heard where my trousers are from because I just think it's been brilliant. And it's a very good point. You know, it's not just an individual. You're targeting every individual has their own influencer network so two questions to finish with bj and the first one you're going to be expecting because it's about a book which i've asked everyone but also i was going to introduce a new feature called kind of like pass the mic which is you kind of naming another entrepreneur that might not have got as much coverage yet or so on that you think that we should go and speak to in a future episode so yeah, I'll give you a couple of seconds to think about that that one because I have sprung that on you slightly. That's cool. I've got that one already. So favourite book recently that you've read that's had an impact on you? Yes. So the favourite book I've read recently is The Art of Business Writing by a guy called Nicholas Cole. He's a writer from the States, 30 years old, multi-millionaire from writing. And he started with blowing up on Cura and Medium. He's a big, big, big fan of spreading the knowledge around how people can tell stories online get paid for it but also make sure that they're utilizing the power of their words for good we had him do a session on the phoenix program the writing bootcamp i'm running at the moment i tried to read up on all of the different coaches work and that's been resonating with me a lot he spoke this week so it's what i've been reading the last 10 days so i really like that book so it's, it's the art of business and writing well by nicholas cole I've been enjoying that book. And then in terms of an entrepreneur, more entrepreneurial type person to put forward, I think for me, there's a few, so it's hard to, it's hard to whittle down. There's a really awesome lady who's a business coach called Mika, Mika V. She has coached, you know, a couple of entrepreneurs that you and I know, Jimmy, from Clubhouse Startup Radio. She's coached Dan from Heights. She's also my coach, BJ. Yeah. Yeah, she's a coach of mine as well. I think I think an episode with her would be great as she's lived a few different lives. She has literally been at the fourth the front line of academics and studied at Cambridge and then has moved and worked at a couple of fast growing businesses and done well, moved on to be an angel investor got burnt out and now spends time working with high-performing entrepreneurs. I think the perspective that she has would be very interesting to share. And I think your audience would really, really love how she approaches life. Yeah, definitely. I think that could be that could be a very interesting one. <laughs> She'll Didn't see that coming. <laughs> no, I did not see that coming. <laughs> not going to lie. Oh, BJ, it's been brilliant to have you on. Look, we're exploring some kind of live shows later in the year, potentially. So it would be great to get you involved in that and do this face-to-face because it will be so much more exciting when we can do that. Amazing. Well done on uh, season two as well, Jimmy. It's uh, not many people stick with their podcast for this long. And I know it was just an idea when, you know, when I could see before the pandemic and you really stuck at it. It's been such a pleasure to watch it grow. Thanks to you and, and everyone who listens for their advice and feedback on it, because it does make a massive difference. But we're growing and we're getting lots of people placed and jobs that come on and stuff. So, yeah, that's kind of why that's why I started it. So I leave your audience with a special thing. So as mentioned, we run memberships for Super Network and for Business Building Club. So if anyone's listening who's got a family member, friend or themselves, they're an e-commerce entrepreneur, they can literally apply for Business Building Club and just reference Jimmy Jobs and they'll get fast-tracked. With Super Network, if you've got a young creative or someone who's looking to shift careers, you can also apply and join the opportunity board we have, which is private at the moment, and reference Jimmy Jobs as well and get fast-tracked as well. So I'll leave that as a little special thing for your audience, Jimmy. 
Awesome, man. What a way to finish. That's brilliant. Great. I can't wait to do this in person soon, BJ. That's a great offer at the end there. So thanks so much. A thank you to our partners for the second series of Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. The Octopus Group, who make this show possible. There are lots of companies who claim to be entrepreneurial and support entrepreneurs, but Octopus really live and breathe it. So much so that if you are one of Octopus's 750 employees and you have your own startup idea, Octopus will give you the time off to go and start the business and keep your old job open for you. They call it their springboard program. If you want to hear more about it, it's worth checking out the third episode in this series with the founder, Chris Hewlett. He talks us through how Octopus began as a fund management company, but is now expanding into lots of other areas, such as Octopus Energy and how healthcare is one of the big areas that can be disrupted. Thank you for listening to this episode of Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. The mission of this podcast is to help inform people about the fantastic jobs that are being created and trying to present that information in an as accessible format as possible. I'd therefore really appreciate it if you could send this episode to someone who you think might find it useful and interesting. It doesn't have to be just for them. It could be that they work at a school, college, or just interested in the future of our economy. If you could rate us on iTunes, that would be great. And of course, we are on social media platforms at Jimmy's Jobs. We are particularly trying to grow it on LinkedIn. Thanks to the team at Particle 6 for their editing skills, and thanks to George Dick Cleland for the artwork. Thank you.